Well, good afternoon and welcome once again to another edition of Cross Faith Bible Ministries, Bible Studies. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Today we'll be covering verses 14 through 25. But before we jump into today into today's lesson, let's kind of go back last week and kind of review what last week's lesson was about. If you remember last week, the lesson was the plot against Jesus, right? And, and what we've seen is that Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're, they're, they're leaving and they're, they're going to go down to Bethany to a man called Simon the leper, right? That, a man that Jesus had healed. But before he goes into that, we know that there's the religious leaders. While this is going on, while Jesus is walking to Simon the leper's house, we know that the chief priest, whose name was Caiaphas, there was a meeting at his house. And who was there? It was the elders. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The teachers of the law, right? They're meeting with the high priest Caiaphas and what they what they want to do is they're coming up with a plan to try to entrap Jesus in order to have him arrested, right? But they say, we don't want him arrested at this festival. What festival are they speaking about, if you remember last week? They're speaking about the festival of unleavened bread, right? And what happens before that festival? The day before that festival starts, we said last week, is Passover, right? And we know that Jesus is going to be Nailed to that tree, nailed to that cross at Calvary during Passover. Why? Because Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? He's that sacrifice lamb. He's the son of God. He came to take away the sins of the world. But we see that they, they, they're they going to advise this. They're going to come up with this plan to, to try to arrest Jesus. But they don't want it to happen at the festival because Jesus is popular. See, everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd that followed him, right? And, and they didn't want no uproar from, from the people because Jesus was so popular. So they had to come up with another plan, some kind of way to try to entrap Jesus. And the scriptures tell us from last week that it was secretly that they wanted to do that, right? Because it was deceitful what they were doing. It was untruthful what they were doing, right? Because... They, they didn't like Jesus because Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus called them out, right? And because Jesus spoke the truth, they wanted to do away with Jesus because they were jealous of Jesus' popularity and his ministry that, that, that he was affecting and he was reaching out to so many people and telling them about the kingdom of heaven, telling them about the kingdom of God, right? See, and as disciples, that's what we're supposed to be doing today. We're supposed to be going out into the world and, and, and telling the fallen world that's out there about the kingdom of heaven, about the goodness of Jesus, about the cross, but more importantly, about the truth of God, about the word of God, right? Amen. So, so we see that there's a plan going on. But when Jesus gets to Simon the leper's house, right, they're relaxing, they're reclining, and they're eating, and they're fellowshipping. We see that this woman comes with an expensive bottle of perfume. And she pours it on the head of Jesus. And we've seen that his disciples last week, they took offense to that, right? They say, now, I can't believe that this woman spilled all this, this, this perfume that was so expensive on your head. But you see, there's a message behind there. 
And that message is this, that although Jesus told his disciples over and over and over throughout the Gospels, you hear this and you see this. Jesus warns them, we need to go back to Jerusalem. And we're going to go back during Passover. And when we go back to Jerusalem during Passover, then the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. The Son of Man is going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. And eventually he's going to be crucified. He's going to be put to death. But you see, his disciples never really understood what he was saying. And why do I say that? Because this woman takes this perfume and this very expensive bottle of perfume in an alabaster jar, it says, right? And she pours it onto the head of Jesus. That signifies that she is anointing his body for death. See, she understood. She had revelation somehow through God that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah that came to take upon the sins of the world. He's the one that came to redeem not only her, but the rest of the world. And that's a message to us that we need to be obedient just like this woman, right? And we need to, to expand and enlarge the kingdom of heaven. We need to do the work that Jesus wants us to do because he is that slain lamb that came. He is the one that took our punishment on the cross. Amen? And this woman sees that, right? And she pours the perfume on him, the expensive bottle. And the disciples can't believe that. But you see, this woman was from Bethany. And Bethany, right, it's a village that's very, very poor. It's right on the Mount of Olives. And it's a village that's poor. So probably this woman, she didn't have a whole lot of money, right? Probably this woman, when she got revelation, however she got revelation, the Bible doesn't tell us, but obviously she had revelation from God because she knew that Jesus was this Messiah, this one that had to go to the cross, right? This lamb that was going to be slain during Passover, right? So we see that she probably saved up for a good while because she was poor. And, and, and it signifies to us that she knew that he was going to die. She's preparing him for burial, right? See, this woman did this because she knows and she understood what was going to happen to Jesus, right? And, and we left off last week with this. The last verse we left off with, it said that, Truly I tell you, Jesus says, that wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her, right? Why is that? Because she's tying together right here. Jesus is tying together his death, the resurrection, his burial with the gospel message. And what that gospel message is, is the good news about redemption, right? And he's saying this, that this woman will be testified throughout the world, right? In other words, this woman... Because she was so poor, because she saved up, because she had inside revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the lamb that's going to be slain, right? She knew that Jesus was going to take on not only her sins, but the rest of the world's sins, right? And we need to be a lot like this woman. We need to be people that are willing to give everything we have for Jesus and for the kingdom of heaven.
right? But today's lesson, we're going to switch a little bit, right? Because what we're going to see in today's lesson is Jesus or Judas is going to betray Jesus, right? But he agrees to betray Jesus in today's lesson, right? He's not going to, he, he's, he's, he's not going to turn him over yet, but he's going to agree with the religious leaders for money. It's a bribe. And that's what today's lesson is on. It's about how Judas agrees to betray Jesus. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to Matthew 26 and look at verses 14 through 25. This is what it says. Starting with verse 14. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he asked, what will you are willing to give me if I deliver him, meaning Jesus, over to you? So they counted out 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. For the sake of the feast of festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointing time is near. And I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him or to one another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who had betrayed Jesus, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. So let's go back to verse 14 and let's kind of decipher what's going on here in this story, in today's lesson. Verse 14 says this, then one of the 12, so the 12 here, remember, numbers in the Bible mean something. They have significance. And the number 12 here is speaking about the 12 disciples. But the number 12 is related to Israel, right? So biblically speaking, when you see the number 12 in the Bible, that's related to the nation of Israel, right? And, and we're going to see here what Jesus is going to do. He's going to lay down his life for Israel, right? Now, we need to understand and we need to see Israel not just for the Jewish people, right? Because if we go back and we look at the book of Exodus in chapter 12, in other words, the first Passover or the first Passover is mentioned or the first Passover experience that the Israelites and the Gentiles had. It was a mixed multitude of people in Egypt at that time. It just wasn't the Jewish people. Meaning this, it just wasn't Hebrews or the Israelites. They also had Gentiles as well that was living in Goshen with the Hebrews, with the Israelites, right? And, and all these people were convicted by what they had seen, by what they had witnessed. I'm speaking about how God moved with the plagues, right? What happened, right? These, these people saw what happened. These people heard the words of Moses, right? They, they seen what, what, what Moses, what, I mean, that what Aaron and Moses were saying and what they did, 
how they kept the Passover and so forth, right? So therefore, everyone that came out of Egypt in that first Passover just wasn't Jewish people. It was what? Jew and Gentile. So when Jesus here is speaking about Israel, he's speaking about how he's going to deliver Israel, meaning also Gentiles, right? Because remember, this Bible is based upon Israel and Jesus are God's chosen people and God's chosen nation. But because they rejected Jesus as the Messiah, then Jesus had, God had to send his son Jesus down in the human form to go to the cross at Calvary. Why? So that a new covenant could be ushered in. And that new covenant is a covenant of what? Forgiveness. And it's a choice that we have. We have an opportunity to have a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is the Messiah, right? And once you have that choice and once you have that intimate relationship, you repent of your sins. Then the Bible says, according to the prophet Jeremiah, he, re he remembers your sins no more. It is forgiven, right? So it doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Gentile, right? What's important is this, that each of us experience a Passover experience, I guess to say, right? And, and, and what we learn from all this right here is this, that if we're going to be delivered from sin, right? If we're going to be delivered from the judgment that's going to be poured out into this world, right? We have to have a Passover experience with the true Passover lamb. And that true Passover lamb is our Messiah. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. So, so that's very important that we understand about Passover. Remember, we said last week that Passover is what? It's a time of preparation. And we're going to discuss a little bit that. And we're going to get into that deeper into today's lesson about how it's preparation. That's what Passover means. So we see here that it says in, in the scripture, in verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. So we see here that something caused Judas Iscariot to go to the chief priest, right? And you might ask, what is that? Well, if you read the other gospels, we know what it is. And that's his love for money. You see, when we love that which isn't the will of God, right? Then we're going to find ourselves being manipulated and being deceived by the enemy. You see, when we love those things that are not of God, right? What happens is that we move away from God and we move towards the flesh because we control by, by two entities. We control by the flesh and we can control by the spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in each and every person, right? Even unbelievers, the Holy Spirit is present. But we got to invite the Holy Spirit into our heart. And if we don't invite him into our heart and we don't be receptive to Jesus and we don't know Jesus, then the flesh takes over. In other words, the devil. And what did Jesus say in scripture, right? That most people come from what? The father of the earth. And what is the father of the earth? It's Satan. Jesus was talking about Satan. See, Jesus is never going to force himself on nobody. You got to invite the Spirit in. You got to say, Holy Spirit, come into my life and make a change in me. I want to make a change for the betterment. I want to make a change for the kingdom of heaven. I want to do the will and the purpose of you, Jesus. Not my will and purpose, but yours, right? But when we don't do that, then we move away from God. And there's separation from God that happens. And when you separate from God, what happens? Sin. Sin comes into your life. 
And more sin keeps pouring into your life. Why? And you're not cleansed. Why? Because you don't have that relationship with Jesus and you don't repent of your sins. See, if you got to repent of your sins, it's about the kingdom of heaven is about repentance, cleaning, cleaning yourself and cleansing yourself, right? And how do you do that? It's by the blood of the lamb. It's by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? And that's what's happening here. But Judas is caught up in the flesh. And Judas, Judas was being disobedient because he wanted the things of this world. And in this case, he wanted money, as you're about to find out. So the message is this, like Judas, when we allow our flesh to rule us, right? And in this case, for Judas, it's money. Then we're going to fall into the works of Satan. And when the flesh controls us, we move away from God. We move away from the Spirit. We move away from Jesus, right? Verse 15. And he asked, this is Judas, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out 30 pieces of silver. So look at that first part of the text where it says, what are you willing to give me? If I deliver. Now the word deliver means betrayal, right? So we see here, he also says this, what are you willing to give me? So he's asking for a bribe. So he wants a payment, we see, right? So because he asks for a payment and he acts, he, he's going to betray Jesus if he gets that payment. That's what he's saying here. So what did they do? The religious leaders, Caiaphas, the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders, right? They counted out 30 pieces of silver. So again, numbers are important. Numbers represent something. They mean something. And the number 30 here means death. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. If we go to the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, we see that Aaron died and Miriam died. Aaron and Miriam were brothers and sisters of Moses. And when they died, both of them, in both cases, what did the people do? What did the Israelites do? For 30 days, they mourned. In other words, we studied this, that they stayed put where they were. They stayed. They didn't travel. Remember, they were in the wilderness. And Jesus had them. God had them going in the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed God, right? They didn't truly believe it. They didn't truly trust in God. So, what did God tell Moses? Be, be, because they disobedient, because they're not faithful to me, right? See, faith and belief, trust and obedience started since the book of Genesis. And it works all the way through to the New Testament. Because the Bible says that you are saved by what? By the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? But we see that from the very beginning. But because they was disobedient, because they didn't have faith, because they didn't believe, God told Moses the first generation is going to roam in the wilderness until they all die out. But we know this, that there was only two from that old generation that made it into the promised land. And into what? Jerusalem. Into Judah, so to speak. Who was that? Caleb. It was Caleb, right? Caleb and, and, and Joshua. Why? See, Joshua was Moses' assistant. Joshua and Caleb believed. And how do I know they believed? Because there's a story in the Old Testament that tells us. That when they went to spy out the promised land, right? What what they seen? There was 12 spies. But they came back and they each, 10 of them had the same story. But two of them had a different story. And the 10 that had the same said, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. There's no way we can take the land. There's no way we can defeat them. 
talking about the Philistines, right? On their way to the promised land. They needed to conquer that piece of property, that piece of land, that area of, of territory in order to continue to the promised land. But they couldn't. They said, those 10 said, there's no way we're going to win. But what did Joshua and Caleb say? Joshua and Caleb believed in the Lord God, right? And they said, with God on our side, anything is possible, right? They knew that they can take the land. And because of their faith, because of their belief, because they obeyed, God allowed those two, the only two from that first generation, to enter into the promised land, right? So, so we see that going back to mourning, that when Aaron and Miriam died, two different cases, but the same result, what did the Israelites do? For 30 days they mourned. We also see that with Joseph in the Old Testament. When he died, they, they mourned for 30 days. So 30 represents what? Death. So if we go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, right? So what that tells us, obviously it tells us his age, right? But it tells us something more important than that. It tells us that his ministry, right? And what was the reason behind his ministry? He came the first time to do what? To save. And in order to save, he had to be the sacrificial lamb on the cross at Calvary, right? So again, it represents what? Death. And we see here, his death came to us biblically within the context of what? Passover, right? Verse 16. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Him meaning Jesus, right? So we see that this point on, as soon as G uh, Judas is given this money, he's looking for every opportunity he has to hand Jesus over, right? To, to the religious leaders, to the chief priests. Verse 17. On, if your Bible says this, on the first day of unleavened bread, then it's that's not correct, right? And I'm gonna explain that to you in a second, why, why I say that, right? It should say for the sake of or what is done on the first day of the festival or the feast of unleavened bread. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover, right? So why do I say if your Bible says on the first day of unleavened bread, right? Understand that this, this really, right? This feast of unleavened bread, a day before that, is called Passover. And that's the day of preparation. In other words, they're they're preparing the meal, that lamb, on Passover for the next day, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread that lasts a whole week. It lasts seven days, right? So it, it couldn't be on the day that they did that. It had to be before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? So if your Bible says on the day on the first day of unleavened bread, that is not, it's it's written wrong, right? And some Bibles are written like that. It should say for the sake of or what is done on the first day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? So understand this, and this is very important. According to the Jewish calendar, now this is a little background of Jewish culture here. The Feast of Unleavened Bread starts on the 15th day of Nisan or Aviv, like the Jewish people call it, right? This is the first month on the Jewish calendar, right? On the 15th day of Nisan or Aviv. Passover 
is on the 14th day, right? So, and, and, and the book of Leviticus in chapter 23 supports what I'm saying. So you can go, you can go and check it. So we can say this, that this would happen or this would have to happen to take place on the evening of that first day. Now, why evening you say, right? Because unlike us, our day starts at midnight, right? On the Jewish calendar, their new day begins at six o'clock in the evening at sunset, right? Or at sunset, I'm not saying at six, but it happens at sunset. So this would have taken place, right? On the eve before that day. So understand that because they have to prepare. Why do I say that? Because look what happens. Look at the rest of the verse. The disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? So they want to know, where do you want to have the Passover? Where do you want us to prepare this meal for Passover, right? Now we need to understand that there's several things that needed to happen or needed to be done in order before the Passover takes place, right? Now, according to Jewish tradition, right? In other words, a tradition that precedes the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, I said birth. I want you to understand that Jesus is eternal, meaning this. There never was a time that he didn't exist, right? But we're speaking here is about prior to the incarnation, prior to Jesus entering into human form, into the human world and taking on human flesh. There was a tradition that the Jewish people did. And that tradition is part of the Jewish law today. And that is this, that on the 14th day of Passover, right? A day that is observed with fasting. In other words, Passover was a day of fasting. They would fast that whole day. So before they would fast, on the eve before that, they would have a supper. We know it as the last supper, right? And, and they would eat this last supper, this last meal before fasting began, right? And this is what Jesus did with his disciples that we know as the last supper. Now understand that, that the men that was with Jesus, the, his disciples, they wouldn't eat the last supper with their families because they're going to go with their teacher, in this case, Jesus, who was their teacher, or they're going to go with a rabbi, right? And, and they're going to eat this meal. And the meal that they're going to eat is is very, very similar to what they're going to eat on the festival of unleavened bread, with one exception. There was no lamb, right, at the Last Supper. Why is that? Because the lamb had to be sacrificed the next morning, right? So this was done the eve before that, you can say. So technically it's the same day, but according to Jewish calendar, a new day began at sun, sunset or sundown, right? So they ate the Last Supper prior to the lamb being sacrificed, right? Then just a few hours after, they would cook this lamb. They would roast it on an open fire, right? And what would happen is this, that the men would observe the Passover with their families, right? And they would take what they learned from their teacher because what their teacher did during the Last Supper, he would teach them about the first exodus that took place in the desert, in the wilderness, in Egypt right? And, and it was a long teaching and it was a long supper, so to speak, right? So this is what's going on here. So, so all this is part of doing the Passover preparation. That's what Jesus, that's what his disciples and Jesus is talking about here, right? Verse 18, 
So he replied, go into the city. This is Jesus. He, he replied, Jesus replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. Now in other gospels, right, it tells us or it gives us a description of what's taking place. But here in Matthew's gospel, it just says, go to a certain man. What do I mean? Well, in the gospel of Luke in chapter 22 and verses 10 through 12, this is what it says concerning this scripture right here. Jesus replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of that house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there, right? So Luke 22 verses 10 through 12 gives us more of a description, right? Of what his disciples, who they go and meet, who they go and see. They talk about the upper room. Jesus talks about the upper room in the gospel of Luke. But here in Matthew, he just says a certain man, right? So it's the same meaning. It's just different writers. And Matthew just didn't go more in detail as Luke did, right? So if somebody says, well, in the gospel of Luke, it says this. Why in the gospel of Matthew, he doesn't go into detail? It's because he just chose not to go into detail, but the meaning is still the same. Amen? Second half of that verse says this. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So Jesus tells them, go find this certain individual, right? And tell them this. Tell them that my teacher says the appointed time is near. In other words, that we need to celebrate the Passover. And we need to celebrate it here at your house in the upper room, right? And we know that it's the upper room because we know that from the Gospel of Luke, right? And this is where the Last Supper takes place, is in the upper room, right? So the Last Supper was going to take place here at this certain man's house in this upper room. So they had to prepare that upper room. That's what we're getting at right here. Verse 19. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them to, and they prepared the Passover. So we see the disciples were obedient to Jesus, right? See, there are many things that need to be prepared and certain things that need to be done before this Passover meal is served or is done, right? The disciples, they did all that was needed, right? So we can say that Passover, once again, is preparation day. It's a day to prepare, right? It sets it sets everything up for the first day of unleavened bread. Now, when this special Passover meal is eaten, right? Not the last supper, but the Passover meal. In other words, on the first day of unleavened bread, right? In other words, 24 hours before, right? Jesus celebrated with his disciples the last supper. Then what takes place? Preparation day. In other words, we got to get that lamb ready. Got to slain that lamb, right? See, they were preparing the meal, the sacred meal, right? That's what they had in their minds. And they had to stay at this place for seven days because the festival or the feast of unleavened bread lasted seven days. And they would stay at that same location for seven days, right? 
and they would not eat anything that was leavened. So they needed to stay in a place that could accommodate them for this extended period of time. And we know that the upper room was this huge, large room that can do just that. It can accommodate Jesus and his disciples. Amen. Verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with his 12 disciples or with the 12. So when evening came, so this is when they began the Passover observance, you can say, right? In other words, they would use the same place to eat the Last Supper. That's what's going on here, right? So they didn't leave that upper room. They stayed in that upper room. We see that Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. So we see here that they're eating the Last Supper, right? They were relaxing. Jesus was teaching them about that first exodus that took place in Egypt, right? It was a long, drawn-out study. It was a wonderful, long meal, right? They're sitting around. They're lying around the table. They're relaxing, right? Verse 21. And while they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now, he knows and he lets his disciples know that one of you, one of you 12 here, you're going to betray me. You're going to turn me over. You're going to have me arrested. You're going to turn me over to the chief priest, right? And the scribes and the elders of the law. That's what he's saying here, right? Verse 22. They were very sad, meaning the disciples. And they began to say to him, to one another after, surely you do not mean me, Lord. So we see that they ask Jesus, right? A question. And they say, surely. Surely, Lord, it's not me, right? So the implication here is that they want to make sure that it wasn't them. In other words, each one saying, Lord, it's not me, is it? It's not me, is it, right? Now, you know what this shows? This shows right here a total lack of commitment, right? This shows that they understood that Jesus was not popular with the leadership, right? They knew because they were with Jesus. They knew that the, the leadership kept trying to trap Jesus because they wanted him arrested. They knew this. But yet they say to one another and they say to Jesus, Lord, it's not me, is it? Like they're not sure if it's them, right? It shows uncertainty. It shows uncommitment, right? And look what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will surely betray me. So Jesus is saying, it's one of you. You see, eating with someone is an act of fellowship, right? Therefore, Judas, in this case, in order to conceal what he was doing, that he was being deceiving, right? That he was going to be the one to betray Jesus. He went in a personal way and he sat down and he dipped his hand in the same bowl as Jesus, right? That's what Jesus is referring to when he says, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me, right? Jesus knew. He knew that it was Judas. He knew that what Judas was doing was a false pretext, right? It was a cover-up, right? In other words... Jesus knew it's, it's a show what you're doing, Judas. You, you, you make him believe like you come in fellowship with me, that you my friend, 
But deep down, I know that it's going to be you that's going to betray me, right? So this also tells us that Jesus knows everything, right? He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that he was going to go to the cross. He knew that it was going to be Judas who was going to be betraying him, right? So it tells us this, that we, we can't hide nothing from Jesus because Jesus knows everything about us, even knows our thoughts, what we're thinking. There's nothing to hide with Jesus. It's all going to be exposed one day, which tells us again, that's why we need to have an intimate relationship with him to do what? To cleanse you, to repent. So you can be forgiven of the things you do wrong because you see, we all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? But the good news is this, that you have a chance to be redeemed. You have a chance to be forgiven if you have that relationship with Jesus and ask for forgiveness if you repent. Amen? Verse 24. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. Right? But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man, Jesus says. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So we see right here in the first text, Jesus says the son of man will go just as it is written about him. So speaking about prophecy, that's what Jesus is speaking about here, right? We also see this, that we see that he, meaning Jesus, he's committed to the word of God totally because he knows what's going to happen to him. But still, he's going to go through with the plan of God, with the purpose of God. So this tells us that we too need to be committed to the word of God, to the plans of God, to the will of God, for the purposes of God. Amen. But look what he says. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. Now, I hope you see this right over and over in these verses. Jesus kept telling his disciples and he's telling us, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to be beaten, uh, arrested. Put to death over and over and over, he says this, right? And here it is again. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. So what's the lesson here, right? See, we're called to walk as Jesus walked. And therefore, Jesus is warning us. He's telling us here, right? And we saw this in Matthew 24, that Jesus says, If you're a disciple of mine, because they hate me, they're going to hate you, right? Because you're a true believer. You see, because you like me, because you're my disciple, he says, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So what he's telling us here, that what they do to me, they're going to do to my followers. They're going to do to my disciples. They're going to do to true believers. So, so we can take it from this as this, that as true believers, <laughs> that we're going to be betrayed. That's what Jesus is telling us here, right? And the scripture tells us this, that as true believers, we will be betrayed. And we're going to be betrayed by the ones closest to us. And in this case, that's what Judas Iscariot represents. Because he was close to Jesus at one time. But yet, he betrayed Jesus for what? For money. For worldly possessions. For material things of this world. You cannot take that with you where you're going in the next life. Because everybody will be resurrected. You're either going to be resurrected to the kingdom of heaven or you're going to be sent down to the pits of hell, to the lake of fire, right? And we can't bring nothing that we have on this earth with us. So why would you want to be led by the flesh and material things instead of to be led by the spirit to grow the kingdom of heaven, right? 
Save up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. Amen. We need to be followers of Christ to enlarge the kingdom of heaven. And how do we better this world? By getting, making disciples of people, telling them about Jesus, telling them about the goodness of the cross, Tell them about the blood of the Son of God, the blood of the Lamb, how it covers our sins, how we are redeemed by the blood. Amen? Look what he says. It would be better, Jesus says, for him if he had not been born. That's how Jesus ends verse 24. He says it would be better for him if he had not been born. So Jesus is warning Judas, and he's warning us here, right? That if we come against Jesus... It's not a very good idea if we do that, he's saying, right? Because he's telling us here, you're going to be condemned, right? So Jesus is letting him know and he's letting us know, right? That judgment and condemnation comes for those who are against Jesus and his word. Last verse for today, verse 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you do not mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. So we see here that Judas calls him rabbi, right? And we also see here that Judas denies it. Now I want you to understand this. The scripture tells us a lot here because the disciples never refer to Jesus as rabbi. They constantly call him teacher because a lot of people say that rabbi and teacher means the same thing in Hebrew and it doesn't, right? There's a slight difference. You see, rabbi means great one right? It is the term of lifting someone up, in other words. So Judas here is trying to secretly be deceiving. He's trying to be conniving here, right? Because he calls him rabbi. In other words, he's trying to lift Jesus up. But Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that it was him. And look what Jesus answers. Jesus answered, you have said so. So what Jesus is really telling Judas right here is, yeah, Judas, it's you. And I know it's you, right? See, Jesus knows it's him. Again, nothing is hidden from Jesus. He knows all things. So what this does is emphasizes his divinity, how he was God, but he was man, and how he was man, but he was God, right? Now, why is this being emphasized here at this time? It's being emphasized for one reason, because it shows us how he was the son of God and how the son of God humbled himself, right? He took on the form of a human being, being fully man, being fully God, in order that he might do the work of redemption. He came as a humbled servant, right? And we should see the son of man just as that. And he should be an example for us to follow him after him and be just like him. You see, when you have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that you take on the character of Jesus, right? In other words, you do his work. Now, works doesn't save you, but having faith in Jesus does. But because you have faith in him so much, because you want to please him, because you want to live your life for him, because you don't want to let him down, you don't want to be disobedient, you're going to do the work of Messiah. You're going to do the work that he did. This is why he tells us, right? That we need to take up our cross and we need to follow him, right? See, we need to understand his humility. 
We need to understand his commitment to the word of God. His acceptance of being betrayed by others, right? See, and if we're going to be people that do that, right? Because that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to take on the character of his son, Jesus, and perform what Jesus did on here on earth. And what is that? It's telling people about the kingdom of heaven. That's trying to enlarge the kingdom of God, trying to save souls for the kingdom of heaven, right? Then we need to display the right commitment. We need to have the right love, the right behavior, the right understanding that demonstrates that all what all his disciples did, we need to do exactly what his disciples did. He called his disciples to go out and to what? To tell the world about the kingdom, to tell the world about the Messiah, right? And he's calling us to do the exact same thing today. Amen. And that ends our lesson for today. We'll be back next week, continuing on in the book of Matthew chapter 26. We appreciate you all tuning in and listening. Y'all have a blessed and wonderful week and y'all be a blessing for somebody this week. We love you guys. God bless. Amen.